Today we are in the book of Joel as we go through our survey in this Old Testament. Uh, Joel is a very short book, just three short chapters, and so it should be a quick one today. Um, and uh, there's no, I didn't hear m- much snickering going on, so maybe it will be a quick one today. Uh, we have been through now a very large portion of the Old Testament. Uh, we are in the Minor Prophets. Joel is one of the Minor Prophets. Um, he is uh, very kind of unknown, honestly, as I was looking through, you know, part of my hope is that whenever you come in here on Wednesday morning, and we look at a book in the Bible together. A, a large part of my hope is that you walk away with something out of the scripture that you didn't see before, or something that's an understanding that is richer than you had before, uh, so that you can have a greater understanding of God's word. That's my hope. Um, now, it doesn't just happen, okay? If, if you were to say, hey, go ahead and teach um, in the book of Obadiah, if you were to tell me to do that today, I haven't put the work needed to tell you what's in the book of Obadiah. Now, I can tell you about Obadiah. I can tell you a little bit. Um, but ultimately, what I mean by that is I, ha- I have to, um, in order to, to show you something that maybe you've never seen before, I have to go find something I've never seen before, right? I've got to put in the extra work to see. I've got to know where is this at, what's this going on. So I, 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 um, I won't say I pride myself, but I really do strive to, to research well. I, I strive to dig and to find, to, to, uh, to understand and, and cross-reference, and I try my best to timeline things and understand them in a way that, is, um, that, that takes a little bit of work. And so as I was looking in the book of Joel and looking at this person of Joel, you know, each of these minor prophets, we've talked a little bit about the prophet and then a little bit about their prophecy. Um, so here's what I know about the prophet Joel. His name's Joel, and his dad's name is... Um, listed right there in the first verse, um, Pethiel, um, Pethiel. And so um, he, uh, that's, that's all I know about Joel. Uh, that's, that's the problem that I'm facing. So I can't tell you how old he was. I can't tell you how long he lived. I can't tell you where he lived. I have some suspicions because of what the, the uh, text suggests, but I can't tell you. I can't tell you um, if he moved somewhere. I can't tell you um, who, his, who all of his relatives are. I looked up his dad, tried to figure him out. Not really anything about his dad in there. Um, looked up, uh, you know, what, what sort of, did his prophecies um, mirror that of anybody else that we can discover? To ter- nope. I got, I got nothing. Uh, this guy, I don't know who this guy is. Uh, but when I get to heaven, I'm, I'm, it's gonna be, it may be even hard for me to find him. I don't know, because as I was looking through and trying to figure out, um, I, don't know, I don't know when he prophesied. I don't know when his ministry was. I don't know when... Um, uh, and, and part of that, I think, uh, if you, as, we, as we'll dive into this book, um, the book of Joel, I think that there's a... Re- so I, I believe that God is not accidental. I think God's on purpose. I think he, got, I think he does things very purposeful and very intentional. And I think that the reason... Maybe he didn't give us uh, the time of Joel or the, the, the time in which he ministered or how old he was or any of that stuff. I think because the message of Joel is a lot about the day of the Lord is what it is. Uh, there's some things that are, that, are, that are right then 
Um, but there are also things that are coming, and it's the day of the Lord. And I think that sometimes uh, in Scripture, we need to know that we may not know the time that this book was written. We may not know the time this person lived, but we know that his words, because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, are true. And we know that we don't know the time that everything's going to come to an end. <laughs> we don't. Um, I, I think that there's a, a really great understanding that we can gather now, I, as I said, so I can't tell you, I, I, know, I don't know any of that. I don't know any of that stuff. Now, I can give you some suggestions, some suggestions. So I'm going to be very careful and, and tread very lightly here because these are um, based out of what I understand and what I see. And a lot of scholars, and, and here's what's funny to me, a lot of um, uh, great scholars, you know, a great Schofield, uh, you know, the Schofield Study Bible, uh, he's a really great scholar. Um, I uh, align with almost everything he says and um, there's a couple other scholars that are, uh, Schofield's the one that I, I'm kind of leaning on this today um, based on some things he said. Now, sometimes those scholars will do something where they'll say, this guy for sure lived at this time and you can tell by this one statement he said. And it's like, ugh, I don't know if we're going to, I'm not going to put all my eggs in that basket and then base all my, base all my study of the Lord and the, his word on this, this study that I can't prove, Right. So um, I, I've got some suggestions out of this. Now, I do know, uh, based out of this, he ministers to the, the southern kingdom and, and Judah. So I know that that is probably the case. Uh, I also know that due to the, uh, the nature of his, of his prophecies, he probably is early on in Judah, it, whenever the kingdoms had split, probably pretty early on, because the sins that he talks about he doesn't deal with the sins that, that Hosea and Amos deal with. Um, it's like they're never in sight. Okay, now this is, it, it, in order to see all of these things, you've got to kind of see this full survey, right? So we talked about Hosea last week. We're going to talk about Amos soon. And uh, in, in those, they're dealing with certain things in Israel, in, in Judah, in these places that um, are sins that have arisen in the people. Uh, Joel doesn't talk about any of those sins yet. It doesn't seem to get there yet. So I, there's a, um, <clears throat> whenever I'm, I'm seeing this, there's, there is one uh, scholar that said that he believed Joel was, in, in his youngest days, knew Elijah and Elisha. And I thought, man, if, that, if that's the truth, that would really shine a great light on this book. But I don't know that to be true. So I can't tell you that this is the, the truth. What I can tell you is that um, through the suggestions of this, we know that he's talking to the southern kingdom primarily. Um, it, it was, uh, and part of the reason why I think that those scholars believe he was, he, he was early on, he doesn't talk about Babylon. He doesn't talk about Assyria. He doesn't name these people. Uh, in fact, the, the, the primary enemies of, of Judah here are uh, the Philistines, which we know were early on, and the Phoenicians, which were early on. So we have that understanding at least, and that gives us some sort of time frame, but it still doesn't give us the time frame. It just doesn't give us the, the dates. I can't say, you know, in, oh, in, in 484 B.C., he, I, I don't have that date. I got nothing. I got nothing when it comes to that. So I hope that you came here today looking for a lot of information on Joel, because I don't have it. Um, I have a lot of information in, in his prophecies, I think, but... Um, but again, I think that, again, our, my, as, I, as I read through all of this, my understanding and my, my um, grasp is that I think the times aren't mentioned necessarily because the nature of this book uh, really focused on the future. Um, 
and, and kind of the, there's, some, there's some dim and distant future that he's talking about. And I think that we need to keep and keep hold of, of that understanding and that truth. Um, he focused on Judah, that southern, um, southern kingdom. He doesn't even mention the northern kingdom throughout this book. There's not the northern kingdom, which you know is Israel, the ten tribes that, that went to the north. He doesn't even mention them. Um, his uh, city is Zion. Zion, of course, the city of God. Um, his wrath in his book um, are against the Philistines and the Phoenicians. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to look at this book in two parts today. Uh, now, this, is, this doesn't, it doesn't uh, se- separate super uh, symmetrically. So it's not like, oh, halfway through, you know, in chapter two, what's, a chapter and a half is this, a chapter after this. That's not how I'm, I've kind of broke it up today. Um, really, we're going to look at the first part, which is the first 14 verses of Joel, Joel 1, 1 through 14. And um, I'm going to call that the day of the locust, the day of the locust. And then uh, the second part is the rest of the book. So that's uh, one, chapter 1, verse 15, all the way through 321, so the rest of the book. Uh, pretty, like I said, a short book. Uh, you can read it in one sitting just in a couple of minutes, not very, not very long. Uh, but if you do that, uh, you'll have to read it a couple of times to really see what's, what's happening and kind of the, the, um, the pictures that, is, that are painted through this prophetic word. Um, the, I, I titled this guy, I, I didn't know, because I don't know who he is, I don't know where he came from, I don't really know when he, when he was here. I just call him the plague guy. That's what I'm calling Joel today. He's the plague guy. Uh, I can't imagine the, a prophet speaking about what he's about to speak about and knowing him as anything else because this is like very vivid, very vivid. And it's like there's a plague coming of these locusts. This is going to be ugly. It's going to be nasty. Uh, it's going to be gross. And so um, there's a couple of, uh, and again, he, he mentions... The day of the Lord. I said the last part of this uh, survey we're going to talk about is the day of the Lord. Um, and uh, the day of the Lord is the primary theme. And here's something I think is very interesting. I didn't know this until I was doing this research on this book. The day of the Lord is mentioned specifically five times in this book. There's only three chapters, but five times the day of the Lord is mentioned. That phrase is mentioned in the book of Joel more than any other book in the Bible. How is that the case? How, how is it that Ezekiel didn't mention it more? How is it that um, in the Old and the New Testament, by the way, the day of the Lord, which is specifically the way it's written out in the book of Joel, is in there five times, and that's more than any other book in the Old Testament or the New Testament. And so there's something to, to note about that. Um, he is, uh, uh, he's made that a very, very important theme. And so as we, as we think about that, as we think about the day of the Lord, uh, it helps us to know in Scripture there are a lot of days that are talked about. There's a lot of days. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, even, there's uh, what's called the day of man. Uh, the day of man is today's day. What that, what that day is, the day of man, Paul writes it to the church and he says, Today in the day of man, uh, this is where men think that they are the ones that are supposed to be giving all the wisdom. You, can, you cannot look very far to see people are trying to tell you what to believe. People are what to try, trying to tell you what to think. And how are they doing it? It's your truth. That's not your truth and my truth. There's the truth. Do we align with it or not? There's not a, well, do you, do you feel like this? Is this how you feel? Then that's your truth. That's, listen, you've got you to get, get away of the, the, the day of man. The day of man is frustrating because they cloud the vision of what God is. There's, 
Also in Jeremiah chapter 30, there's what's called the day of Jacob's trouble. That's the day of Israel's trouble. Um, that's uh, whenever the whole world hates the Jews, and there's, um, that day is uh, towards the very end, which we are, are slowly getting that way. Uh, we know that there's the day of Christ. We know that day is in the Scripture. Um, the day of Christ is whenever Jesus will judge. Uh, but here, here's the, the day of Christ is what's called in the New Testament the Bema Seat of Christ. So the Bema Seat of Christ, uh, we will all stand before the Bema Seat of Christ, and we are not judged for our salvation, we're judged for our service, what we did with our salvation. So we're going to stand before Jesus, because see, there's the, there's the we, we as, as the church, we've kind of failed to talk about these different times and periods, because we all think on Judgment Day, we have to stand before the Great White Throne Judgment. Which, as believers, listen, I don't have to stand before the wrath of God because he, I've got imputed the righteousness of Jesus in me. So I have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ where Jesus is going to say to me, um, he's not going to say, are you saved? He's going to say, what did you do with being saved? What did you do in this life? So there's that day of Christ coming. We're going to stand before that judgment seat of him. Uh, then, there's, then there's the day of the Lord. Uh, it is mentioned 18 times in the Old Testament. Uh, again, five times here in the book of Joel, the most times, the day of, of the Lord. Uh, four times in the New Testament. This is the, the end days, uh, which we are, I think, approaching very quickly. Um, and I, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, and then there's um, what uh, Peter and Paul both write in the New Testament called the day of God. Uh, that is eternity. That, there's not much about the day of God uh, mentioned in the Bible, just a couple of different places. Uh, but that is, that is our everlasting eternal thing, where, where there is no, no competing authority. It's God. It's Him. It's our, it's our heavenly um, home, our eternal state. So there's those couple of days to, uh, to look at. So today I've tried to, uh, as I've looked through this, try to talk about the different days in the book of Joel uh, and how that translated in prophetic terms. Now, some of these prophetic terms haven't happened yet, and I'm excited to see them on the other end uh, whenever that happens. But um, So I want to start out with the day of the locusts, uh, the day of locusts. This is the first 14 verses in the book of Joel. Uh, this is um, uh, very, very intense. He talks about, hey, here, here's this, there is a day of locusts. Listen to verse number four. Um, what the cutting locust left, now this is whenever the locusts invade the land in his prophecy. It says, uh, when these locusts, what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Let me explain to you what this means. <laughs> this is a, um, if you know much about locusts, so even, even Solomon talks about locusts. Okay, Solomon says uh, that they have no leader, no king, yet it doesn't deter them. They are, locusts are these little, um, I mean, they're, they're small, they grow very quickly. Um, and they, the, the thing about locusts, they're like grasshopper type things. Um, but as they, as they grow, they can, they can sprout wings and they can fly. They can, but once they hatch, millions and millions of these little eggs will hatch. And they all drive in the same direction. Locusts go in the they go in, in hordes and they're side by side and they go in the same direction until everything is devoured. Um, these of this uh, uh, prophecy, there's a few different types of locusts. He mentions four different types of locusts: cutting locusts, swarming locusts, hopping locusts, and devouring locusts. And each of these 
uh, are a different stage of the locust life. But here's what, here's what that means. The Romans said that locusts were like, uh, if you had a swarm of locusts, you might as well had a fire because they, they devour everything. And so what they're saying is, what, what Joel is saying is there is an invasion of locusts coming. When they come through, they're going to come through in these four waves, these four waves that are going to be tight together. And locusts are so insane that they will, the only, there are only a couple of things that can stop locusts. One, very high winds that will blow them in a different direction. And basically, if, if, a, if a nation or a country sees locusts coming down the countryside, they are begging for a wind. They're begging for a wind. There wasn't a lot of rain in the Holy Land in this time, in this, in this season. Not a lot of rain now. Um, and so there's, they were begging for a, a great wind to come or that there would be a great rain or some type of water that would slow them down. But here's the thing about water even. I was looking up what locusts really do. And did you know that they will even move into a body of water and the locusts, if they're on the ground and they're crawling, they will, they will go into the body of water. They'll drown. They'll body, their bodies will, after they drown, will float. And the locusts behind them will just come on top of them as a bridge. So, I mean, you can imagine, like, the, the amount of destruction, what they're saying is these things aren't going to be stopped. You cannot stop these things. They will, if a building is in its way, it'll climb up over the building and right back down the other side. If there's a window open, it climbs into the window, and they keep going the same direction. And they will just annihilate and destroy everything. In fact, they say that by the time you look back, because of the way these things, um, these things look, after they are gone, it literally looks like you have scorched the earth. So Joel's first few words here, he says, I'm going to give you a picture that is going to be disgusting, ugly, terrible, and you can't stop it. We need to hear this. And then down a couple of verses later, he finally mentions that where this is a prophetic word, this is not just about uh, specifically bugs, but in verse number six, he says, for a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are like lion's teeth and its fangs of a lioness. He talks in verse six, this is a nation coming against us. This is a war that is coming. This is a people that is going to come and destroy us. And he says, even in verse number eight, a couple of verses later, lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. What he's saying is uh, to the people there in Judah, he says, you need to be so broken over this like a, like a, a young potential, like a young fiance, her, this young woman who is waiting for her groom and her groom dies. Like not even leaves her or not even abandons her, but dies. Imagine the brokenness. Can you imagine seeing a woman on her wedding day and before the ceremony starts, someone comes into her, her bridal chambers and says to her, uh, your, your groom has just died. Imagine all of the excitement built up to that day and that moment and then hearing that, like how much lamenting is she doing? She's broken forever. I mean, that, that is a brokenness forever. She's not going to get over that. He tells the people, lament like that. That's what you need to do. And then they call on a fast. So they call for a fast. Uh, they say, put on a sackcloth, lament, O priests, wail, O ministers of the altar, go in. He says, listen, whether you're a priest whether you're a regular person, whether you're whoever you are in the nation, 
we are all called to weep over this. There is destruction. There is going to be a complete uh, uh, tearing of, of who we are, of our land, of our people. This is going to be harsh. This is going to be bad. And as he calls for this fast, he brings the people to come together. He says, call for a fast and come together, and we are going to cry out to the Lord. And that's how the scene uh, in verse 14, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders, all the inhabitants of the land, to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. That is, um, the first 14 verses there is what the day of the locust looks like. And here, uh, this is where Joel sees this day of, of locusts that are coming to devour. And then he sees further, another day. He sees in verse 15, where he changes, uh, the, the, the tune changes a little bit. And he says, um, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. Uh, this, these next couple of verses, he sees um, what I consider the land. In the first, uh, from verse 15 down to verse 20, he talks about what will happen with the, uh, with the food of the land, with the storehouses, with the, um, with the different grain, with the beasts, with the, the animals that are there in the land in these five, six verses um, he says uh, in verse 19, For you, Lord, I call, for the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. A flame has burned all the trees of the field. He's talking about not only the farmlands, but he's talking about the forests. He's talking about all of this that is happening. The farms are destroyed. The forests are destroyed. And this day of the Lord uh, is coming soon. And he, uh, it sound, honestly, this is a, um, this is a, a prophecy, right? We can speculate to what this prophecy is, or we can say, I don't know exactly what this prophecy is talking about. I, I've, I've, I've got two opinions on this prophecy, and, and honestly, they are, they're both supported through the Scripture, and I don't know which one it is. And you know what? I have just come to the fact that I may not know which one it is. I may not know. Is this the Assyrians? It may be. It may be the Assyrians. doesn't mention it, and again, Joel doesn't say who it is because Joel is looking prophetically and he doesn't know who this people is. I don't think it is uh, the Philistines because he mentions the Philistines. He doesn't, this is a, a people he doesn't mention. I think that this sounds like the method of the Assyrians who would come in uh, and, and destroy and leave nothing and just be uh, ruthless and terrible and awful. I don't know, though. So uh, after those, uh, uh, chapter 1 wraps up, he talks about seeing this land destroyed. And then he talks about chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Listen, he sees darkness. Um, he says in uh, verse number 1 blow of, of chapter number 2, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. And then verse 2, a day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness, like the blackness there is spread upon the mountains. A great and powerful people, their like has never seen before, nor will ever again after them through the years of all generations. He says there is a destruction coming, a people coming to devour us, and we alike that we've never seen before. Now that is described of the Assyrian army, 
uh, in another prophetic term. And so, again, I can, I can align those two, but I don't know that. I can, I can make a suggestion and say that's uh, whenever the Assyrians came and officially took over. Now, again, there's, there's world powers that we will see throughout the generations, right, that, that rise and that fall. Um, ultimately, what I have taken out of the book of Joel is uh, I didn't just stop reading at chapter 2, verse 3, right? I kept reading. I kept hearing. I kept seeing because his prophecy didn't end there. His prophecy continued. He sees this great darkness. Um, and again, just like they talked about, just like he talked about the chapter before, uh, earlier on in his prophetic view and, and vision of the locusts devouring the land, right? The locusts cover the land. He's saying this, the darkness covers the land just like those locusts did. And this is, and it, it's, you can't stop darkness. You can't. If, if clouds come in and blackness comes in, you can't do anything about it. Locusts come in, you pray for a wind or some rain. Then the clouds come in, you're like, I didn't pray for this rain. This is not the rain I prayed for. I can't, I, I, this is all beyond your control. He says this is going to happen to God's people. He sees this darkness. And then um, in verses 11, d- down, uh, uh, so the first 10 verses talk about this other set that's coming and this other uh, uh, frustration and heaviness that's coming um, and how the darkness will devour it and what will kind of happen in that. And then verse 11, this is where he says, uh, the Lord, chapter 2, verse 11, the Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great, for he who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? You may tell you about that one. So I do know about that one because that's found in Revelation. Um, there is a day of the Lord coming that um, the, the one who executes the armies of the Lord will come. It says the one who executed, the one who executes his word is powerful. Um, you know, whenever it talks about in Revelation uh, chapter, I believe, 19, where um, whenever the Lord speaks, his tongue is like a sword and it is coming forth from his mouth and it is very powerful and exceedingly great. Um, there, I, I just cannot imagine where Joel, his mind has gone and he's seeing where, where down through the history, he says the day of the Lord is, is coming and his army, this is, this is God's army. The Lord utters his voice before his army. The Lord says, it's time. It's time to go. This is, this is, we haven't seen this one yet. This is coming. His army is great. His time is powerful. Um, and he, he's appealing. And here's what's, here's what's awesome. He's appealing now in the second part of chapter two, that to the, to Israel in the end, Right? He's gone from, we're going to get destroyed, it's going to be harsh, it's going to be bad. And then he points down to this time where the Lord is coming back, where the great king of the army is coming to lead. Um, and he, he appeals at the very last time, even then, in verse number 12, because of, because of that. You know, there's something about the Christian life. Um, whenever we think about, last night in our men's study, we talked about the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is, is the beginning of wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord uh, will give us wisdom and insight. I think that the fear of the Lord also will allow us to align with um, what He wants for us behaviorally. Because here's what I think. If you are picturing 
the king at the very last day who is speaking to his great army, the greatness of his army and the power of his army, it will affect the way you live because I'm not going to live like he doesn't matter, right? I'm going to live like he matters a lot. He's a, he is scary. He is, he is, he's worthy to be feared because his army doesn't lose. He doesn't lose. His words that come out of his mouth are like a sword that, are, that, that can pierce your heart and you're, you're done. He is that powerful, that amazing. So what happens whenever we see in verse 11 the, the picture of the Lord uttering the voice before his army, his camp's exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? You cannot endure. If you are not on his side, you lose. That's what he's saying. And then what happens next? What does Joel do next? He has this call to uh, return to the Lord. He says in verse 12, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Rend, return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. This is the great call of God. When you realize and recognize how incredibly powerful, strong, and amazing, and holy God is, there will be a call in your heart to return to Him because not only is He wrathful and holy and powerful and mighty and unwilling to be in the, in the presence of sin, He's willing to forgive you. He's willing to open up. He says, even, even in this day, return to me. Any chance you have to return to God, do it. Just return to Him. Don't let this go any further or any longer. He calls again for a fast. He calls again for this, um, uh, this, this call. Hey, come back. Come back to me. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders again. Gather the children again. Even the nursing infants again. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Everybody come back to the Lord. Please come back to the Lord. And then the second uh, part of chapter, thir or the, the, chapter 2, the, uh, just after that, it shows that the Lord will show mercy. Um, he's jealous for the land, and He has pity on the people. He is willing to forgive. He's willing to, um, to go and rescue those. And then listen to what happens in the, the prophecy, uh, beginning at verse 28 of Joel 2. I want to read uh, verses 28 through 32. I just think this is a really great, uh, it's just really great to hear. It says, um, see, if you, see if you've heard of how this prophecy turned out. Okay, see if, you, see if, you, if you've got this one figured out. Um, in Joel uh, 2, beginning of verse 28. <clears throat> and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth. Blood and fire, columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be whom the Lord calls. You know, whenever... Uh, which is, which is part of the reason why I know why Peter and Paul and all those guys in the New Testament kept talking about, we're, we're in the last days. This is it. We're over. Why? Because of what Joel says here in chapter 2, verse 28 and 29 and 30. He says, it, there's, there's a day coming where I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. The disciples 
in that, in that room together, and the Spirit comes down as tongues of fire, and they are now prophesying, they are speaking in different languages, they are seeing miracle after miracle after miracle. They have, and, and listen, the Holy Spirit didn't just pour out on men. It poured out on men and women. It poured out on all, on all of those who believe. And even whenever the church in the book of Acts, right now our student ministry is going all the way through the entire book, book of Acts. And it's cool to see every Wednesday night they have a different guest speaker that comes in. And we, we all speak, teach kind of once on a little rotation. And we're going through the book of Acts. And we've come to the point where now the church in Antioch is, uh, is sending, sending missionaries now. And I realize that through that, can you imagine, I, I preached a couple weeks ago about the Jerusalem Council. Whenever they got together and they said, hey, what do we do about these Gentiles? Um, the Holy Spirit came on them too. And they were like, well, that can't be right. And then we go back to the book of Joel. Well, guess what? God said, I'm going to pour my spirit on all flesh. Not just these, these Gentiles, not just the Jews, not just this one people. I'm important. And though, you'll know these are the days. And now we look today, and we're like, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Yeah, but can you, can you imagine being, seeing the Holy Spirit of God, experiencing the Holy Spirit of God poured out for the very first time in all of human history, and then going through the Bible and somebody being like, uh, guys, have you read Joel chapter 2? Um, I think we're here. I think we made it. And he even says towards the end, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now there's people that are getting saved. There's people that are being rescued from their life of sin. And these, I, I just, I look at the Bible and I think, man, no wonder those disciples were so passionately, why? Because they, they thought the day of the Lord was here. It was coming. The day, of, the day of, of judgment, the day of the end, the moment it's all said and done is right here. It's next. And so we are in this day. We're in this day where the Holy Spirit is still doing work. The Holy Spirit is still being poured out on all flesh. The Holy Spirit is still uh, doing work. People can call upon the name of the Lord right now and be saved. Like, what? I mean, th that's happening right now. The people can call on the day of the Lord right now. They can call on His name and they can be saved. Here's where now Joel makes a shift. And this shift, he looks all the way down through, you know, I, I, I personally think, in the, um, uh, in, the, in the way that this book is, is written out and these prophecies are written out, there's, there's a kind of a three-step thing here. I think there was the day that was pretty close to them. I think there was a day that was a little bit distant from them. And then I think there was this one, uh, chapter 3, that's the day that's a long way, long way off. Uh, I think probably the end of chapter 2, end of chapter 3. Now again, when it comes to time frames, I don't know. All I know this, Joel is pretty obsessed with the day of the Lord, as should we. We should be as well. If we're going to be obsessed with one of the days, let's be obsessed with the day of the Lord. Here's where um, in chapter 3, the Lord judges the nations. This is one of my, um, uh, if you're going to read a chapter over and over and over again in the Bible, Joel chapter 3 is a good one to read. Um, this one, to me, I, I, want to, I want to give you a little bit of a, of a, of a um, maybe, maybe a, a picture of the Antichrist and Jesus, right? And here, here's this great this great battle. Um, see, one day, the first 16 verses here um, is, are very clear to me about the, the, the last uh, day and the last battle. What you see, let me, I'm going to read three different verses out of this text, uh, chapter 3, and I want you just to kind of hear it. But here, um, the world gathers together. Now this is, I believe, the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is where we know of Megiddo, which the battle of Armageddon will take place. 
And so you'll hear, uh, listen to verse number two. Let me just go ahead and read a couple of these so you can hear it. Verse number two, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into them judgment with them there on behalf of my people, my mighty heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and divided them up among the land. That's verse number two. Now verse number 12 Verse number 12 says, Let the nations stir up themselves and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. And then verse number 14, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Here's, here's what, um, if you read all of this chapter and you, you were to do a deep study on it, here's what you'll find. There is an antichrist in the world that is that has been prophesied about for for generations and generations. Thousands of years now, we have heard prophecy about the Antichrist. We've heard about this coming Antichrist. He is going to stir up the nations. And the Antichrist is going to bring the nations together in this valley. And the goal of the Antichrist is to exterminate the Hebrew people. That's his goal. He hates, the, he hates the Jews. He hates the, the Hebrews. He hates the people that were originally the people of God. He hates them. So he's going to gather these nations together to come up against, against uh, uh, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel is what he's going to do. This Antichrist is going to bring all these nations around from all these different places, and he thinks he's, a, he's going to be a will, well-spoken leader. He's going to be one of these great, uh, uh, on the outside, looking like he's, he's super persuasive, super, um, uh, we're going to, super convincing. He's going to convince these nations to show up here in this thing. Now, his goal, again, is to, um, uh, to exterminate the Jews, to exterminate Israel. But here's what God is saying in this prophecy. He says, I want to read verse number 12 again. Let the nations stir, up them, stir themselves up. You know, you know what that means. These, these nations, this foreign enemy of Israel, they think we're going to come and do this. But ultimately, this whole chapter says, God brought them together. God says, I will bring them up. Because in verse number 2, he says, I will gather the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. He doesn't say the nations will all show up there on their own. He says they think they will. They think they're going to come up against Israel to extinguish my people. But they think they're coming here to extinguish somebody. I've brought them here to execute judgment. That's what I'm doing. That's what God says he's doing. So the day comes where the people are going to rally against Israel and they think we'll show them we're going to take this land from them we're going to show them that we are stronger than them. We're going to show them that they don't deserve anything. That's what we're going to do. And God says, you think you got here on your own. I brought you here. And the reason I brought you here is not so you can extinguish my people. It's so I can execute some judgment on you. That's why I brought you here. And he does and he wins. Because the rest of the book of Joel, the last section says, verse number 17 so you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and its strangers shall never again pass through it. In, in this um, text, the last couple of words of the book of Joel, I believe, um, I, have a, I have a view on it in my, 
eschatological uh, perspective, meaning what I believe about the end times, what I believe about the end days. Um, I think this is a time frame in which <coughs> some, some scholars, some Bible study people, uh, they, they believe different things about this, this time frame um, and what this specifically means. I have a, a conviction about it myself, but um, ultimately, here's what I want us to take away from it today. Um, Israel is going to have a glorious future, and the ultimate thing we will know, as in verse 17, you shall know I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion. Verse 21, I will avenge their blood. Blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. What we will know in the last day is that the Lord dwells in Zion. We will have no question who the God of Israel is. There will be no one in the history of the world or in the future of the world that will ever question who the king of Israel is. None of them. No, nobody's going to have the question of it. There's going to be no doubt. He even says, I will avenge their blood. The blood I haven't avenged, I will. The blood that I, I, will, I will take care of everything. So that, why? So that the people will know who dwells in Zion. And it's the Lord. It's God himself. The day of the Lord is coming. And when it comes, we will know that he is the God who dwells in Zion. I, I think that as we look through this, this uh, book today, I don't, know, um, I don't know much about this guy, Joel. I don't. I know that at some point in his life, he agreed to listen to the Lord. Right? We could say that. some point in his life, he agreed to the mission that God had called him to. Um, at some point in his life, you know, I heard a great, uh, a great pastor of old say, your job as a preacher is to preach the word of God faithfully and then die and be forgotten. Nobody needs to know who you are. Nobody needs to know who I am. Nobody. But you need to know the person about my message is about. You need to know the person of this book. Um, Joel is a really great example of that. Man, I can't tell you about some kind of cool thing that he did, some fire brought down. For, I, can't, I can't tell you any of that. I can tell you that he was faithful to the Lord. He said yes to him when he called him to speak, and he spoke. And even if he didn't understand it, and he, you know, he didn't write down any time, he didn't write down any, you know, part of me is a little bit mad at Joel. Like, come on, man, write what day it is. Who's in, who's in kingdom? Where are you at? Just write, you know, date it at the top of your paper, something, you know, like he would have, he would have failed school if he didn't put his, his name and date at the top of the paper, but he didn't. And I think that uh, the Lord was, was trying to, to give us a message today. Listen, whatever day you're living in, know this, there's a day coming. It doesn't matter if you were born in 1982. That was a great year to be born. That was me doesn't matter if you were born in 1939. That was my grandfather's uh, birth year. doesn't matter if you were born in 1500. doesn't matter if you were born in uh, the year, I don't know, 7 or whatever, however that works, 7 AD maybe, whatever. Um, here's, here's what you need to know. There's a day coming. And that day coming, we're going to know who's, who's king and who dwells in Zion, who dwells in that great holy city. I, I do think it's, it's important to note in verse number uh, 17, he says, Who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy. You know, Jerusalem, um, when Jerusalem is holy, is when it's a uh, 
there's no sin in Jerusalem. It's, it's a holy place. It's set apart for God's purposes. Um, that gives me a little inclination, by the way, as to my view of the end times and when this takes place. When Jerusalem is really, truly holy, uh, we'll be in this, this um, I'm, well, I'm not even going to say it because it, it could be controversial, so I'm not going to say it. But uh, here's, here's all we need to know. God is going to rescue and avenge Israel. He's going to. There is no, I, I don't know a better week to say that um, for us. Uh, but I also know this, it may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. But according to God's timeline, it's already happened. It's in the past because he's already written it out. He's already said this, the day of the Lord. In, in, in God's mind on his timetable, because he said it, it's so true. It's as if we can look back and see it. You know how, how we can say, well, what's going to happen in this, um, in this uh, ball game or this, this uh, experience we're about to go into? Well, I think this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And if it happened exactly that way, we can't say it's 100% true until after it happened, right? That we can say, well, you know, we can, we can guess the score of the UT football game. We can say it's going to be 38 to 35. That's what we can say. And if the score is 38 to 35 after Saturday, we can say that is a true statement. God is saying these things as if they are so true. He's already written them down, and, and they've already been proven. He says, listen, the day is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. What we need to do is prepare our hearts. Every time, by the way, it talked about the day of the Lord, and then he addressed the people, he always said, consecrate yourselves. You better, better turn back to him. You better get your heart right. You better make sure you are on the right side of this. Because if you're not, you lose. That's the way it works. Today, as I have just experienced last night with a group of men, knowing the fear of the Lord and the importance and value of it, and knowing today the fear of the day of the Lord, um, we don't know when the day is. We don't know. So return to Him now. Whatever it is that doesn't align with Him in your life, align it with Him. Return to Him. Turn back to Him and allow Him to forgive and cleanse you and, and put you back onto the right path so that He can say that my people are holy. Because there's a day where all of His people will be holy. And if you're not His people, you'll be experiencing His wrath. Um, I hope that the book of Joel, these three short little chapters, uh, may have encouraged you today, may have challenged you today, and maybe have given you a little more insight into what it is that the Lord wants from us. Let's pray this morning.